Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning talking about uh, your investments, the economy, finance, all those important things to help you grow your net worth. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. Doing well. Been a long week this past week, hasn't it? Up and down, up and down. Yeah, it's been all over the place, you know, and uh, talking to, we had our workshop this past Thursday and yep. we know people did, again, voice some concerns over the current situation and you know, that, that's what stocks do. They go up and down in the short term. Yep, and that's why you say don't worry about the short term. Look at the long term, which is why we try to talk about how to invest for the long term. But um, I, I do believe that uh, being in the right stocks will do well over the long term. But you may be thinking it's different this time because now Russia has invaded Ukraine and the recovery will take a long, long time. Well, here are some examples, and I'm I'm not going to compare this current war situation with the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941, but even with the magnitude, it took only 307 days to get back to break even back then, not years. Yeah, and then you look at other situations too, like 32 years ago, Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. Well, that took 189 days for the market to get back to break even. In 1968, there was a major escalation during the Vietnam War called the Tet Offensive. And after that major advancement, it only took 65 days before the markets were back to break even. And finally, I, I mean, this one was really shocking to me. 9-11. I mean, that to me was one of the most devastating time periods in this country. First attack on our own soil. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, terrible, terrible situation. It took 31 days for the market to get back to break even. And, and the whole point that we're trying to bring out here is don't try and time these market headwinds as you get caught on the wrong side very, very quickly. Oh, Russia invaded Ukraine, I'm going to go to cash. <laughs> you have no idea what's going to happen. And the other thing, too, you got to kind of look around the whole situation. I mean, what is going on besides, you know, this, this war that we're having in Ukraine and Russia? How's that going to affect us? Yes, we know that oil has been going up. That is going to hurt the pocket of, uh, of people. But you also have to look at how much money is in the economy. We've talked many times on the show about the $22 trillion in, in money in the economy. We talk about how flush with cash businesses are. Um, there's just a lot of things that can counterbalance a, a decline. Because if we were in a bad situation and then a war happened and then oil went up, oh, that would be very hurtful. But uh, we've got a very strong economy. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the unemployment report that came out, how good the job market is, all the cash in the economy. And eventually, and I don't want to sound cold, but eventually the the shock of the, the Russia going to Ukraine is is hard. But if it were to linger on, eventually it's not as big of a news. And there is one big benefit. I've not heard anybody talk about the COVID situation. Yeah, um, kind of moving on from that. And I mean, speaking of COVID too, you talk about not knowing what the market's going to do. I mean, we always talk about the market went down, I think, 34 35% in 2020. Full year was up 16%. We had people selling it out at the bottom that were telling us they were selling out at the bottom. And it's like, why are you doing that? And right. it's the same situation here. I know we were down the last two days and don't, oh my gosh, on Monday morning, I'm going to sell and get out. 
you can really hurt yourself here because that is trading. Yeah. You have to look at investing and holding those businesses. We always say businesses, trust me, they're not sitting here looking at, oh my God, Russia invaded Ukraine, our company's going to fold. Right. <laughs> they say, okay, what do we need to do to overcome this? And then they create business plans to get around the situation and their business will be just fine in two right. to three years. And, and that's why we look at, again, longer term. And that's all the stock market is, is small pieces of large companies. Don't look at the day-to-day movements in the stocks. Yeah, it will drive you crazy, and also will really hurt your performance. That's why we also talk about how the average investor over the last 20 years has only done about 2.9%. A lot of it is because of your emotions, and and uh, no, I'm not a trader. I'm just getting out because the the, the war is going to you know have the economy collapse, what it may be. And no, that is trading. You're not holding a business because you know businesses are going to continue on. And I did want to say, kind of echo a point you made earlier about the increasing oil prices. I mean, right now we did see oil at $115 a barrel. Here in California, we're lucky enough to have an average price per gallon of over $5 now. That, that's We fantastic. hit that. We did that, yeah, yeah. We did hit that yesterday. Um, but the last time we saw these numbers, if you look at the amount of money that, again, is now in the economy compared to back then, I still don't see the high energy prices being a deterrent for people traveling. We've been right. locked up for so long during COVID. I think people are saying, oh, man, that sucks. But, yeah, I can afford the higher energy prices. I'm still going to do what I want to do. I think that's why it's going to be okay this time, and you're not going to see the limitations that higher energy prices normally would bring to an economy because there is so much liquidity out there, and I think the other businesses are going to not have the same impact. I know a lot of times like refiners get hurt because there's a happy medium of higher energy right. prices, but then all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, they're too high. We're now just going to pull back demand. I don't think we're going to have that. Yeah, I, I don't believe it's so either. And, uh, you know, one thing with the higher oil prices, people saying, oh, we'll just go out and buy an electric car. Well, there is a problem that I, I don't think people are seeing. I'm talking about the U.S. electric grid. United States electric grid is becoming older every single day. In 2020, there were over 180 power distributions or disruptions. Uh, now, just 20 years ago, uh, there was only roughly about 24. So what's that, about one-fifth? Uh, a report that came out uh, last year from the American Society of Civil Engineers found that 70% uh, uh, of transmission and distribution lines are past their second half of their 50-year lifespan. So they're getting older, and as we know things get older, they don't function as well and can collapse. Yeah, and I, I do look here. The Society of Engineers also anticipates by 2029 the U.S. will have a shortfall of $200 billion in funding to improve the grid and meet renewable energy goals. All this comes on top of the increased need and use for electricity. Be prepared for more outages as we move forward. I feel this is kind of an embarrassment for a country like the United States that is so strong with so many natural resources that we would have any power outages. And again, the thing I want to point out too, the electric grid is still powered by many non-renewable energy sources. Yeah, yeah. We talk about oil is a small portion of it. Nat gas is a big portion yep. of the U.S. electric grid. Coal, I believe, is still a, a decent-sized portion of the, the U.S. electric grid. So you're kind of like hiding, I right. guess. Oh, well, we're green because we're using electricity, but you're powering the electric <laughs> grid and non-renewables. It, it's something that I know we're shifting towards more renewable energy to power the electric grid, but that's still years away. So uh, be cautious of that, and I, I, I do think – there are some benefactors from this. I think construction, we talk about being an area where you might have some opportunities because there's a lot of areas of infrastructure that needs improvement. And, and the other thing, too, is that, uh, you know, coal, uh, we virtually have an unlimited resource here of coal, natural gas here in the U.S. We, there's plenty of it here. 
Now, there are things they've done. I mean, coal, I remember used when I was younger, it was just spewing out those yeah. black smoke. They have scrubbers now and so forth. They've really reduced that. And to try to eliminate it completely, well, I, I don't think you have to do that because reduction. And when you compare our air here in the U.S. compared to many countries around the world, I think even Europe I've heard that we now have cleaner air than they have. So you don't have to go, you know, one side to the other. You can get there slowly by improving things and not causing such high uh, prices on energy that really hurts a consumer. Yeah, and, and even <coughs> looking at something as simple as like the cars, looking at your miles per gallon that you drive. Right. I mean, I drive a, a Chevy <coughs> Silverado right now. My truck gets about 20 miles per gallon. Well, years ago, you only would get eight miles per gallon, you know. <laughs> so things kind of naturally progress and, and help with the environment. There's other ways to do it. And, you know, I, I think we need to kind of stop being so focused on it because that that's where we're going to get hurt is if rising energy prices spike and we're not allowing supply to build. That, that That's where you could see gas prices. I've heard some areas in California, it's $7 per gallon. Yeah, I think somebody's just trying to like get their name on the, uh, on, maybe. On the news. Like, yeah, I'm charging $7. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about you. But, uh, you know, it's funny when I was driving in today, coming here, I, I did kind of you look around and now like you see five ten, five twenty uh, uh, per gallon where before like, oh, there's $5. Now that I don't think you can find anything. No, there is a, a station. Uh, I went there. I, well, again, it could change now. But uh, they had for credit card gas. It no, no, it was five eleven. Now I think about wow. it. The cash price I think was uh, four ninety nine. Ah, so, yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's expensive. And I, I did want to kind of go back too to the infrastructure idea. And, and it's On funny. The grid, you mean? Or? Yeah, the yeah. electric. It's not just the electric grid though. There's so many other areas. Oh, it's yeah. funny we've been talking about infrastructure now for years. And we finally got a little inkling of a deal this past year. But, you know, I still think that you're going <laughs> to see infrastructure that needs to keep coming due over this next <laughs> decade. It's going to be very, very important. <laughs> and, you know, I we kind of been talking in the office about how to kind of benefit from that and, you know, different areas we can look at. Because I, I still think, like, steel companies, they went way, way up last year. I'm, I'm not really interested in that. But I still think there's other areas of construction that, that you as an investor can find that can benefit because we do need – <clears throat> roads, bridges, the electric grid, many, many other areas. And, and, and we do. And the, the problem is, unfortunately, we don't get too far off track here, but back uh, about three years ago, like, wow, we can borrow a trillion, two trillion dollars for the infrastructure rebuild. Now we've taken on so much debt, we surpassed 30 trillion dollars uh, in debt that I'm not so gung-ho about doing that. Let's work on getting that debt down. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, it's just not a good situation to be in. Well, <laughs> Yeah. It's very difficult because it's not a good situation to be in because you're right, we can't take on debt, but also you can't have the electric grid crash. You can't have True. bridges fall apart. Right. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a, a tight tight spot to be in for us as a country, but I still feel that we'll be okay. I, I'm not worried by any means with our national debt levels, things like that. But well, and, and one thing, because uh, we'll be talking more about this at our client uh, our investment symposium that we do in, in uh, mid-March, uh, but one thing I've been kind of looking at is that we don't realize that, yes, our jet debt to GDP now is about 127%, I believe was the number I saw. Oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Japan, who seems to be functioning fine, their debt to GDP is about 220%. Now, not to say that's a great thing. <laughs> we should be there. Right? <laughs> yeah. But to saying that we could go a little bit higher, things will not collapse. Um, so it, it, it's... And, and I would like to see the debt a little bit lower. 
but but don't worry like oh you, you know I gotta go to cash because the government's gonna crash government's not gonna crash we have farther to go and one thing too that uh, people don't realize is that inflation does help reduce that debt because inflation will actually increase your GDP and if your GDP is increasing faster than the debt that percentage will fall down so it's a benefit but also a, a curse yeah. because the the benefit is the inflation increases the GDP but also the inflation creates the need for rising interest rates so now you're borrowing <laughs> <laughs> interest yeah. rates you're so. right you're right yeah so but uh, and again it's just that comparison but um, oh by the way uh, we're gonna open the phone lines here 833 288-0973. Uh, again, you want to get through for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Give us a call here, 833-288-0973. Before we go to the calls, I do want to talk about the jobs report. It, it, you know, we even talked about, should we do this? Well, we kind of have to because every month it comes out. It wasn't really anything too exciting. It wasn't like, yeah, okay. But the Russia-Ukraine news continues to dominate the markets. And what was, for the most part, a strong jobs report flew under the radar. Non-farm payroll saw an increase of 678,000 in February, which easily topped the estimate of 440,000 as jobs continue to recoup from COVID. The two previous uh, also saw positive revisions as a net 92,000 jobs were added to two reports. The sector seeing the biggest benefit continue to be leisure and hospitality, which added 179,000 jobs, but still not back to where we were back in uh, 2019 on the leisure jobs. Yeah, on, on 2020, even February, I got that number coming up here, but you know, just not looking at leisure and hospitality, there were other areas of strength, and I do believe there actually weren't any areas that saw declines, which was a, a benefit, but uh, other yeah. areas of strength wanted to point out Professional and business services was a broad area, grew by 95,000. Healthcare and social assistance, that was also up 94,000. Talking about construction, up 60,000. And transportation and warehousing, which I continue to believe is a huge part of the economy to help combat inflation, that was up 48,000. Here's that number we're talking about, leisure and hospitality jobs. Those still remain 9% or 1.5 million jobs below where it was in February 2020. And the overall non-form farm payrolls are still down 2.1 million jobs or 1.4 million compared to February 2020. Other positives in the report include the unemployment rate, which stood at 3.8%. It's crazy to think we're, we're back under that 4% range, 3.8. That's a, a, a good number to look at. And the big one we look at here too is labor force participation rate. That rose to 62.3%. That still unfortunately was 1.1 percentage points below February 2020, but a positive that more people are in that labor force. We know that's very, very important with all the jobs openings out there. And lastly, two, I want to talk about wage inflation. Well, that was 5.1% for the year. May sound like a positive, but remember, CPI grew 7.5% in January. We should be getting the CPI numbers here for February shortly, but 7.5% compared to 5.1%. Well, that means consumers are still losing purchasing power. And do want to say that we're still sticking with our estimate that 2022 is going to be a fine year for both the economy and the right stocks. And, and the other thing, too, you want to look at as well, I mean, we, we are getting uh, good employment numbers. I, I still, I like the term I heard was job replacement, jo not job recreation yet, because we are still Call replacing. Recoup. Recoup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but still looking that we're recouping these jobs, not creating these jobs. But it still is a positive that we have done that as well, though, because, again, we talked in the beginning of the show about people saying, oh, it's going to take years to come back. Well, here we are a year and a half, two years later, 
that we are back almost to where we were before. Uh, and it's almost like if you want a job, you can definitely get a job. Unfortunately, some people are like still got some free money coming in. I'll put it that way. Well, and the other thing I look at is this is a great report to look at because this is now crazy to think about two years after the last report that was impacted by COVID. That's right. Yeah. So this is a very interesting. This is the exact two year mark before COVID really started hitting the economy. So, I mean, to be down 1.4 percent in terms of the total non-farm payrolls, that's not a terrible spot to be in. I think people would have never guessed that to be the case. And my anticipation is that we should be back to where we were in February 2020 by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we will be. And, and again, we've we've got that's the other thing too. We've got a strong economy. Yes, we have high energy prices, but a strong economy, also high food prices. There are things that are high. Um, and, and as we've talked also too, that as things go higher, the consumption will start to drop off somewhat, which will ease the increase in prices because demand will start tapering off somewhat. Yeah, it, it's definitely something I don't think you're going to continue to see CPI at 7 8%. Yeah. I think you're going to see it kind of peak here shortly, and then probably you'll see it still in the range of 4 maybe 5%. And the other thing I would try to tell people as well is that if you go up 7% uh, a year ago, it's harder to go up 7% again because now your base is higher, so therefore a 7% increase would be a much larger increase on a bigger base. So there's factors of the, the declining consumption, the bigger base. Um, I, I don't think we'll see that. And also, too, um, uh, I was at dinner last night, a small dinner with uh, Congressman uh, Daryl Issel last night, and we were bringing up the fact about, uh, you know, what, what is going on uh, in the world, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Chase, I just lost my train of thought. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, did you have any thoughts on Russia-Ukraine? Uh, it was Russia-Ukraine. It was also on the, on the economy and so forth. And, oh, I know what it was. It was on the, the shipping uh, yep. because I have seen that improving. And um, actually what it is is that uh, I believe at one point we had 100 ships off the coast of uh, California. Last time I checked was about a month or two ago. It was down in the 70s. So we're on the right trend with that because that was one thing we were talking about was you know inflation and also causing inflation is a lack of products because uh, the shipping is not coming through. Well, that is improving. Uh, we'll have to check that this week and see what it looks like, but I've not heard anything about the shipping containers. It could be down maybe now 50, still <laughs> still more to go, <laughs> but not as bad as 100 as it was before. Yeah, and you're, you're out of the holiday season, yep. so uh, you know hopefully we get things fixed for this holiday season <laughs> so yeah. we don't have kind of a build and then a big build up. I, I think you're going to see things look a lot better than the supply constraints that we saw last year. Yeah. I, I hope, and I, I'm confident we will. Yeah, and I want to let everybody know, got all phone lines open, 833 288 0973. That's 833 288 0973. So we got that stock you've been kind of looking at. You're not sure, well, maybe I should sell it now and get out, or maybe I should buy this, whatever. That's what we're here for. We'll go over all the fundamentals of the stock, try to point in the right direction. Again, 833 288 0973. So I did want to say, too, kind of, we talked a little bit about people still not being in the job market. We're still short those jobs. And you know, I, I still think there's some people that maybe took a little hiatus because they had a nice buildup in their investment account or something, so they're taking a little time off from work. But the other number, too, that that I've been very strong on is I think you've had a lot of people that retired early because you had home prices climb, you had yeah. their 401ks climb, you had their investments climb, pretty much all asset prices grew. Well, you know, you're 62 years old, let's say, and it's like, oh, I don't need to work anymore. Right. 
you know, my house might be paid off. I have all these investments. I'm good. I, I can retire. I, I think that is also limiting somewhat of the job or job uh, job problems that we're seeing right. is, you know, that's why we're not seeing the full report just yet. And I, I think you're going to have that younger generation. Of course, they're going to have to continue and build and, yep. and replace those jobs. But I think what happened is you had an acceleration of retirements that is now kind of destroyed the, the normal cyclicality of how the job market goes. <laughs> and, and I think we're going to see a reversal on that a little bit. Because, I mean, I, I'm hearing people saying, how many times can I play golf and still enjoy it? Um, how many times can I just, you know, read a book? Or uh, It was exciting, like, oh, I get to retire. But then now it's been like a year or two for some of these people. And not quite as exciting yeah. as I thought. Maybe I want to get back in the labor market. I mean, I, I, I love working. I say my retirement date's going to be, what, 2042. I'll be, what, 80 years old. Um, work has a lot of fulfillment for people. And it's great not to maybe have to be told what to do, uh, get up a certain time every morning. <clears throat> but on the other hand, too, it's great to be needed and, and feel fulfilled by doing something that's productive. So I, I, I think we'll see some reversal in retirement people coming back in the market, uh, filling some type of jobs. Yeah, yeah, mm. I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it might not be the... You know, if you were an accountant working 60 hours a week or something, you right. probably won't go back to that. But, you know, maybe a consulting capacity where you work 20 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, let's talk a little bit about Russia and Ukraine because no one knows for sure which direction the Russia invasion of Ukraine will go. Um, I have talked in the past about how they have become close with China. But this attack on Ukraine could dampen uh, that relationship. Russia is trying to disrupt the ports so that Ukraine will be hurt financially because they cannot export their products such as grain, corn, barley, and sunflower oil. And you look here in the United States, it's not really a big problem, but the Chinese do obtain these products from Ukraine. It is also a very difficult time for China because their pork producers have been losing money as hog prices drop, and now it'll make it difficult to get corn, adding more pressure on Chinese pork producers. Perhaps this could force Russia to back off on their invasion as we know nobody's really supporting Russia here. China's kind of pulled a typical Switzerland move saying they're not going to get involved. Right. And I say typical because Switzerland has gotten a little more involved than normal. Yeah, they had they, <laughs> they did sanctions, yeah, which is yeah. surprising. But uh, China's kind of said, you know, we think you guys should come to a resolution, but they're not doing what the rest of the world is to Russia just yet. But, you know, I, I think uh, China, they kind of – they know – that they have all these trade relationships around the world, I think they're kind of in a tough spot. And I, I honestly feel a lot better about China than I did a few weeks ago. Yeah, things seem to be turning around for China, uh, uh, how they're doing this with uh, Russia. Because initially, love when I can't say anything. But now I think they're starting to feel some pressure. And people don't realize, you know, here in the United States, pork's not a big deal. But in China, it's a big thing for them. That, that is like their, it's almost like, I, I believe, steak here. I think pork in China, that's, that's their, their big thing. And remember a couple of years ago, the swine flu. Yeah. Was it the swine flu? The swine. The swine yeah, it was the African swine flu, I believe yeah. is what it was. And a lot of the hogs had to be put down. So that really caused a problem that uh, their, their, their inventory uh, of, of pigs was, was down. And so now it's just starting to rebound, but you got to feed them. And corn, I guess, is a big thing for, for them. And Yeah, Yeah, and I, I want to kind of go back to what I was saying is I, I feel a lot better about China. And I, what I mean about that is not saying about investing in China because I'm still very <laughs> yeah. worried about the Clarify accounting yeah. of, you know, the businesses. And I still think there's a lot of kind of shady accounting practices that happens. We talk about the shadow banking, things like that. But the reason I feel better about China 
is I think they're looking at what happened with Russia and Ukraine and saying, oh my gosh, the whole world is against this. If we were to move on Taiwan, you know, what if the U.S., what if Europe, what if everybody else says, you know, China, we don't, we're going to not take any of your products any longer. Right. Still remember, China is an export-driven economy. They they don't have the type of oil production that they need. If we destroy Russia's economy, I don't know where they're going to get oil from. You know? <laughs> I know. And, and again, you're, you're right, because they really depend on their world trade. Mm -hmm. And you can't have world trade if you're pissing off the world because they're going to put sanctions, and all of a sudden their economy would drop dramatically. So I, I think China is, and we kind of said this before it all started, we think China's going to step back and kind of watch what happens. And I think what they're seeing and what the world is doing is China saying, maybe we should not touch Taiwan because it could cause us more problems than uh, we can handle. So, all right, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to uh, Lakeside and speak with David. David, you're on the Smart Invest Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, fellas. Morning. Nice to, uh, nice to be able to get in. Yeah. See if I can find a stock for one you guys <laughs> like. <laughs> well, which one you got? So everybody's talking about food, energy, and fertilizer. So I'm looking at the fertilizer stock, SMG. Yeah, and, and you know, and this was, uh, I'm going to, we're going to go over the numbers for you here. But I, I, I think it was something that sometimes you got to think ahead of time. I, I have a feeling, I'm going to guess here, that's probably too pricey because a lot has been built in. But we're going to take a look at this for you. Um, I think you're going to be surprised. You think so? Okay, well, well, let's get let's get started here. We, we do see, again, the company is uh, Scott's uh, Miracle Grow. Their symbol is SMG. They only have about 4% uh, short flow, so that's good. About 63% uh, institutional ownership. Uh, P.E. ratio 18 uh, versus 14, so that's higher. You would want that lower. Price of sales 1.6 versus 1.9. Price of tangible book value not material for Scott's versus 34 for the industry, so that means they have a lot of intangible assets and unfortunately here price of cash flow nothing there versus 11.2 now it does have a good peg ratio which is a price earnings divided by growth you want this number lower it's one versus 1.3 we do see earnings per share over the last year down 9.3 percent the industry is up 176 percent so what are they doing here over the past year that hurt their earnings we do see sales are up 5.1 percent industry is up 31.4 they do pay a dividend of 1.9%, use 33% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, look at the balance sheet here. You got a quick ratio, I'm sorry, current ratio of 2.5 versus 1.5. That is good. I don't like the balance sheet here. We got a debt to equity of 390% versus 0.7. So I'm not, not happy with that. Uh, we do see that you got day sales outstanding, 23.9 versus 64. That is a positive. Net profit margin, 9.2 versus 12.7, return on equity 52.7 versus 12.9. I think if I looked at the balance sheet, we'd probably see a very low equity. Well, so far, Chase, I'm not too surprised. I'm not too happy with it. What are you seeing? Well, <laughs> spoke too soon. The reason I, I said I think you're going to be surprised is I was surprised by the year-to-date return. It's down 14%. Oh, Over yeah. the last one year, it's down about 30%. So that was kind of the area I was surprised by. I thought they would be doing well in a situation like this. Uh, not having such a large decline in the stock price. And, and you know what it could be, and I, I know you're going to give some more numbers here, but it could be because I talked about the high debt, mm -hmm. I talked about the low sales, low earnings, perhaps a company individually is having a difficult time 
in a time when they should be doing better. Yeah, and it's it's obviously a pretty good sized company here. Market cap's about seven point six billion dollars. I think you use Miracle Grow, don't you? You love Miracle Grow, and I do. Yeah. I do. It's that blue <laughs> stuff, and it, it works really well. I mean, I, I put it on every week in the springtime, and I got these nice flowers and nice greenery. It does work very good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, looking at the current price here for Scott's Miracle Group uh, Corporation, it's uh, one hundred thirty eight dollars nineteen cents. Here's that fifty two week high. $254.34. That was achieved April 5th of last year. The low is now $126.57. So definitely is current price closer to the low than that high. Going forward, though, I see September 2023. I see estimated earnings per share of $9.60. It would give us a target sell price of $159.36. Again, above that current price of $138.19. So I think Based off evaluations, I wouldn't be buying it just yet, but it could be based off evaluations, a potential opportunity. It's that debt level, David, that, that would scare me away from this business. Yeah, and, and David, I really w- would want to know more about what is going on with the company because it, there seems to be some issues, and I, and I thought for sure, uh, and, and Chase, uh, you're right, I thought for sure we are going to be you know 52-week highs and so forth, which we're not, so there's a problem there. But I, I think there's something going on with this company. What you're going to have to look at, probably can't buy it on Monday, but maybe this is a company that has a fixable problem that you kind of watch, and maybe over the next six or 12 months, if they fix the problem they have, which I have no idea what it is, uh, if it is fixable, this could be a good buy because you're not paying the high for the for the company. And we know that the world is growing for uh, food and so forth. Now, perhaps Miracle Grow, maybe that's all they have is that blue stuff that I use, and maybe it doesn't do anything with uh, agriculture. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, so that's where it comes down, David. Understand what the business is as well. Alrighty. David, did we lose him? Okay, yeah, I, th- I think oh, he's gone. Oh, right. I think he might have bad connection bad there, connection unfortunately. Maybe. Yeah, so, well, David, I, I hope that helps out. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I know you're kind of looking for something that we can say, yes, it's a buy, but uh, yes, do a little more research and be patient, maybe, is what we'll say. Yeah. Yeah, so, alrighty, that opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 0973. You know, it's uh, just about uh, 830. Yeah, I think it's a good time to start talking about uh, financial planning. What do you think, Chase? Yeah, let's go. Let's go talk to Harrison. Okay. Uh, let's go to Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I, I know today we're talking about uh, something that's very important. I, I, I don't think people think enough about sometimes is your beneficiary designations. Yeah, so I mainly wanted to bring this up um, as a word of caution when we are talking about trusts. Um, so a living trust is a pretty common thing that a lot of people have, and when you get a living trust, the first thing you really need to do is fund that trust. And so people think that everything now needs to go into that trust, which is not true. Um, some things should not go into a trust, specifically things that have beneficiary designations. So, for example, if you have an IRA or a 401k and you are listing the beneficiary of that account, in most cases, you do not want to leave a trust as a beneficiary because it can cause your entire account balance to be distributed and taxable at your death, which is a very bad thing. Bad for your beneficiaries. Um, they lose on the tax deferred growth. In many cases, it can cause them to jump up in tax brackets. So it's it's a bad thing. Um now, in some cases, if your surviving spouse is the only beneficiary of the trust and is the trustee, um, 
you can make the case that you know it, they can just retain it as their own but it, the irs has had some rulings on that which has turned out to be okay but the main problem that we see is we'll, we'll have a client and they'll come to us and be like hey my my father just passed away um, which obviously is unfortunate but they left their living trust as a beneficiary and it's like ooh, that could be a problem uh tax wise so uh, something to be careful of when you're filling out your beneficiary designations, make sure you really understand what you're doing with that trust because some trusts are specifically designed to be beneficiaries of certain things, but the standard living trust that you know you see quite often is usually something that, that should not be the beneficiary. Um, another example would be life insurance. Life insurance has beneficiary designations, so in most cases you do not need to have your living trust as a beneficiary um, because really the benefit of having a beneficiary designation is those assets go straight to the beneficiary and avoid probate. So you don't need to incorporate the trust. And in many cases, when you do, you just add a lot of complexity. And the problem is, you know, by the time you figure out it's a problem, you can't do anything because you're dead. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say too, Harrison, kind of uh, back to the, the IRAs. I mean, can you kind of break that down? I mean, I, I understand like, especially if you're, inheritor or if you're the one inheriting the the ira and it goes in the trust and let's say you're in your working years and, and that ira is a million dollars and you're the sole beneficiary i mean can you kind of explain that to people like why that's so bad <laughs> so yeah the way the tax brackets work the more income you make the higher rate at which that income is taxed and so if a trust is the beneficiary which causes all of your ira account to be distributed to the beneficiaries at your death that beneficiary, maybe like you said, they are working, maybe they make, you know, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year. So they're already getting into those upper tax brackets, but then they have um, a distribution of an entire account, five hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever the account balance is, that pushes them absolutely into the highest tax brackets, which means between the federal and state, you know, close to 40 and sometimes over 40% of those dollars are then gone to taxes because of the way the tax bracket works. So a huge amount of tax is lost from that account that was supposed to go to your family or, you know, whoever, but now it's, it's going to taxes. So big tax event. And then again, you lose the tax deferred growth that otherwise would have been available um, if it could remain in the, inside the account. And Harrison, I mean, uh, you know, people that come through your office, I mean, how many times do you find people where they really don't understand this or they have the wrong beneficiaries or even sometimes no beneficiaries? Um, I mean, it, it is, I wouldn't say it's too common, but it, it absolutely does come up. I mean, if you don't have any beneficiaries, then you've got a problem because, you know, then you, your estate could go through probate and then the, the courts have to decide where your assets are going to go, which, number one, is a very time-consuming process, also can be a very expensive process for, uh, you know, your heirs who you would have left that to. Um, but like I said, it, it does happen sometimes where we'll, I'll see somebody and say, oh, yeah, we just got a trust, so, you know, we, we, we've got our 401k, we just made our trust a beneficiary. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we, we want to take a look at this. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, good. Okay. Well, Harrison, uh, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy your Saturday. We'll, we'll see you on Monday morning. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on Monday. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
Again, as our financial planner with CFP, uh, Harrison Johnson, he is on a salary, he doesn't charge commissions or get a bonus or anything else like that. He really does true financial planning, unbiased, as we always say. Uh, if you want to have a meeting with him or, or talk to him, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also, too, uh, visit our website, contact him there, smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com. All right, our phone number is here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Brett. Brett, you're on the Smart Invest Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, how you doing? So good, how I've you been doing? invested in that. Uh, I'm pretty good, thank you. I've been invested in oil stocks for the past year, and I'm seeing, from my point of view, still good opportunity for growth and i was curious what you guys think about a couple different companies uh the main one being gte and the other one being uco and and those are both uh etfs is that correct uh brett yes okay and and i did pull up the uh uco grand tierra uh, is a company oh it's a company yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's look at GTE because we give you more information on the company than we can on the uh, on the ETF there. So I've never heard of that company, by the way. And do you do you own this spread or looking to buy it? I do own it. I own several shares. My average is seventy five cents, and I also own multiple call options. Okay. All right. Well, well let's take a look at uh, uh, Grand Terra Energy. Uh, symbol is GTE. They are in the oil and gas and ENP industry. Uh, no, very little float on it, 0.2%. Institutional ownership is very low, though, 19.8. And we do see a PE ratio here of 12.8, just about the same as the industry at 12.7. Price of sales, 1.2. That's very good because the industry is at 2.5. We see price of tenure, book value, 1.9. Also good because the industry is at 5.1. The price of cash flow, <clears throat> that checks in at 2.3 versus 6.2. And the peg ratio, 0.9 versus 1.3. And again, peg ratio, you want that lower. Shows you're paying less for the future growth of the company. Now, I don't see any earnings going forward on the company. Uh, I do see sales are up 99% for the past year. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Taking a look at the balance sheet, I'm a little bit concerned here. Their current ratio is only 0.5 versus 1.4. Now, this tells me if things turn around. Uh, let's just say on Monday, all of a sudden there's peace talks and the the war is over and Ukraine and Russia. That could turn things around, could cause a liquidity problem with this company if they can't pay their bills. Uh, also, too, I see a high debt to equity of 220% versus 0.7 or 0.7% for the uh, industry. So I don't like seeing that high debt level there. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, a decent one at 9%, but the industry is at 167 Return on equity is 14.1, not quite as good as the industry at 15.9. So I'm I'm not too excited about some of the numbers here. And again, worried about the balance sheet, not as strong as I'd like one to see. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so first looking at the company, it, obviously they're in the oil space, but they do the exploration and production of oil and gas. So they're not that refiner. They are kind of a pure play production company, it appears to be. But interesting, it's in Colombia and Ecuador is where oh, they're wow. focused. So I... I don't know too much about Colombia and Ecuador, but uh, does concern me a little bit. I, I'd want to know a lot more about those South, South American countries to kind of see 
how stable they are compared to a lot of the the United States areas. Uh, But looking at the current price for GTE, Grand Tierra Energy, it's $1.53, right near that 52-week high of $1.55, and the 52-week low of $0.44. Year-to-date returns up 101%, so congratulations on uh, holding that during that time period. Uh, Looking at the market cap, though, just $552 million, so it is a smaller business. It's something that we wouldn't buy at our firm just because it is such a small company. But looking forward, I do go out to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $0.46. That would give us a target sell price of $7.64. That sounds very, very attractive, but I will point out there are just two analysts on this company. So they could be very, very bullish on oil prices and not be giving you a very good average on those estimated earnings going forward. So I'd be cautious, and especially on these oil companies on USO, I I do think there is still some more upside. But I, I do question a year from now. I don't know if we're going to have $115, $120 per barrel on oil. Right. And, and the other thing, too, Brent, you want to be concerned about or understand that this is, as Chase said, in uh, Colombia and Ecuador. Ecuador. So you also now have, in addition to the moving of the oil, the moving of the currency. So you've got a, a, a risky situation here. And I think as long as oil continues to go up, this company will do well. But what happens if it doesn't? happen say i said monday i, I know the war's not going to be said on monday but say a month from now or or also too we talked about how things kind of uh, eventually they lose their front page news so to speak and oil's not such the, the the news it was or we do turn on our taps here in the u.s or the middle east does increase their production there's a lot of concerns here you've done very well with it i don't know and i think i didn't hear you say i think you said you have call options on it plus you own it uh it sounds like you're pretty heavy into it bit the call options were quite cheap and just looked attractive considering the current geopolitical issues and the possible russian oil ban mm-hmm. i just thought i'd try and take advantage of the situation yeah and, and, and that's fine to do percentage wise how much does it make up of your portfolio i would say about 15 percent yeah that, that, that's a little bit high because if things do go against you very quickly which i'll and again, I mean, you can come out where all of a sudden Putin says, oh, I'm not going to uh, invade anymore. We're, we're going to back off. That would really change the oil situation, and you'd be hurt pretty bad on that, I believe. And one other thing, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, is I have heard they're talking to Iran about using yeah. some of their reserves and getting them back online. Now, all of a sudden, if you get them back online and then Russia comes back online, let's say, six, ten months later, yeah, now you're going to have too much oil out there. You could see oil prices go from... $115, $120 a barrel back down to $90 a barrel, which would hurt your USO and your GTE stock. So I'd, I'd be cautious. I, we do still have energy in our portfolio, but I, I'd be cautious, cautious having too much of it. I think you're right. You've got it at the beginning of the year. That's fantastic. But I think it's now starting to be less attractive over the next six months compared to how it was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll give you a little, little warning sign there. How's that, Brett? Hey, well, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate your show. All right. Well, thank you for being there, and you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. I was going to say that the hardest part about how we do things is we know we're never going to sell it at the absolute top. Right. And I still believe energy and oil still has some room to go. I, I think you know some calls are for $150 per barrel. I don't know if we'll get there. I think that's a little excessive. But right now at 115 I think you could easily see 120 125 But 
the upside potential I think is not as high any longer compared to what could happen on a downside, let's say a year, two years from now. We're not always looking over three, six month periods. We're trying to look out two, three, four years. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think longer term now, energy is not as attractive as it was at the beginning of the right. year to be entering into that market. Right. Well, speaking of energy, we're going to go to Wayne in San Diego. We're going to talk about Chevron. Good morning, Wayne. How are you doing this morning? Pretty good, gentlemen. Uh, like, uh, I'm trying to figure out a target price for Chevron. I bought it right after they reported the last quarter earnings, and the market sold it off, and the yield went over 5%. So I, I was looking at the yield, not just the stock appreciation. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and Chevron, obviously, in the oil field industry, but also they're, they're, they're a large oil company. They do refinery. They do uh, exploration. They do a lot of different things. So that's why you won't get the big movements like on the last stock we just talked about was up 100%. Chevron won't do that. But also, too, you won't have a big drop like the other smaller companies could have. But uh, let's, let's look at the numbers on Chevron. They're symbol CVX. They are in the oil and gas integrated uh, industry. Uh, not much uh, float on it, 1.2, so no one's really shorting it. 68% uh, institutional ownership. P.E. ratio, pretty high, 19.5. I say that because the industry is only 8.2, and they are obviously in the industry of oil. Uh, we do see that the price of sales, 2 versus 0.6. That is high. Price to book value, 2.3. That is better than the industry at 3.6. And then price of cash flow, 10.4 versus 3.6. And again, that is high. And there's no peg ratio uh, going forward, which I'm kind of disappointed not to see that. And I think it's because over the last 12 months, they don't have any earnings. They just started getting into the earnings uh, recently. So for the past year, there are no earnings. Sales, however, were up over the last year, 64.7%, better than the industry at 43.3. Talking about the dividend, they do pay a $5.68 uh, dividend. That's about a yield of 3.6% on the current stock price. The payout ratio is 65%. <clears throat> it's not low. It's not high. It's probably right about where it should be. Uh, we do see that uh, they have had that dividend uh, for the past 10 plus years, so they continue to do it even during the difficult time. Very important is a balance sheet. Got a current ratio 1.3 versus 1.2. That's positive. Debt to equity, wow, only 0.2 versus 0.5. So Chevron has a very, very good balance sheet, so they can weather a storm if the uh, oil <clears throat> were to start dropping, they would still be fine, probably still pay that nice dividend for you. We do see that they have a, uh, uh, what is that, net profit margin 10% versus 6.8%, return on equity 11.2 versus 10.6, that looks okay. Chase, what do we got for numbers going forward for Chevron? There's a current price here for Chevron, $158.65, right at that 52-week high of $159.95, the low. $92.86. It's had a phenomenal start to the year, up 36.6% year-to-date for Chevron stock. Uh, looking at the market cap, though, obviously this is a very big company, $309 billion business. If I go forward for Chevron, I go out to December 2023, I see $10.27. Those estimated earnings per share would give us a target sell price here of $170.48. So kind of as you were questioning there, Wayne, it looks like it's getting close. It would be in our hold category. And I did kind of want to compare this to our last company with GTE where we had just two analysts. I feel a lot more confident in this because there's 24 analysts on this. So it gives me more confidence in the estimate. But the thing that is concerning is year-over-year -year growth on earnings per share is 2022 to 2023. They're looking for a decline of 10%. So I believe that's why there's no peg is I think a lot of analysts yeah. on Chevron, more analysts, are saying, you know, we think this is going to be a peak year for oil prices and things will start to kind of subside going forward, which is going to limit 
the the earnings as we we progress over time. <clears throat> and also with that many analysts, I mean the range of earnings are very low to high. Big big range. I, I show six thirty eight, seventeen ninety five. Yeah. So big big range there, which again kind of worries us. And uh, what did you say the target sell price was, Chase? One seventy forty eight. One seventy four. And 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 I think that's just moved recently here, uh, Wayne, because I, I thought I looked at it like two three weeks ago. And I thought it was around 125. I could be wrong. Maybe it's longer than that. But when he said 150, like, wow, it, it's it's moved up nicely. So uh, I, I wouldn't be panicked. But how much does it make up of your portfolio, Wayne? About 1%. It's just a, I just I bought it just for the, basically the kind of like here's a dividend that I think at 5% was a decent yield on a you know a solid company. Yeah. It wasn't. I wasn't playing the energy market. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. And and and, and, I, I, and I got lucky. Well, uh, you got lucky, but you said it perfectly. You're not playing the energy market, but it's good to have some energy in your portfolio. Right. Uh, I think you picked a good one here, but uh, it is not a buy at this point in time. Have to wait for something else to move. Already. Next week, I'll talk. I'll call you about another one that's a much 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 smaller of a company, and see if I should stay in that or sell it because it's moved up to. It's an oil stock. Thank okay. you. We'll talk next week. Have a good one, Wayne. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line. Eight three three two eight eight. 0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to Oceanside and speak with Joseph. Joseph, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? A long time no here. <laughs> how are you doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I got, went off the radar for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, um, and I was God, surprised, but, too. Joseph. I was like, who's Joseph? Is this Joe <laughs> yeah. in Oceanside? Well, he, he, he threw out the Joseph, so I left it at that, you know? Okay. <laughs> How can we help you, yeah, It's crazy out there, isn't it, guys? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, right now, it's like I said, right now, my toss-up between GM and BBY, I mean, you know, because, you know, obviously, you know, you know, BBY, you know, they increased their dividend, they're buying back stock, it, stock went up really good on the, you know, earnings, and, and GM's thick like rocks, so that's, that's, that's the one that's probably most beneficial at this point, but. So, so you want to take... those two companies, uh, which one do you guys think uh, you want to listen to? Um... Either one. I mean, I, I, I think you want to look at the one that's down because I have a feeling that could be a better buy than the one that's up. Yeah, I think so too. GM, yeah. you mean? Yeah, GM. Yeah. So, so let's look at the numbers on GM here for you. Uh, and and uh, do you hold that, uh, Joe? I forgot. Yeah, I hold both. Okay. Okay. So let's take a look at the numbers on a GM. Their symbol is obviously General Motors GM. Uh, we do see a PE ratio. Or actually, they're, they're in the auto manufacturers industry. Not much float on this company, 1.6%. They are 85% institutionally owned. Uh, we do see the P.E. ratio now 6.3 versus 7.2. We do see price of sales 0.5 versus 0.9. Price of tangible book value 1.1 versus 5.6. And price of cash flow 4.1 versus 8.1. And the peg ratio, wow, very good, 0.4 versus 4%. And all these numbers get better as the stock does fall. Uh, which is just amazing how much the stock has fallen over the last, uh, we'll say, month or so here. Now, look at their earnings per share growth over the past year. It's 54.7%. The industry is 61%. Sales were up 3.7 for General Motors, not quite as good as the industry at 12.1. We do see they pay, oh, they don't pay a dividend yet. We think they're going to start paying that dividend maybe next quarter. Uh, but so far, the CEO, Mary Barr, is not saying, yes, let's, let's get that dividend going. Actually, the board of directors, but still, she I think she kind of controls that. Yeah. But to look at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio, 1.1 versus 1.9. Debt to equity, 1.9 versus 0.7.
We do see a uh, net profit margin here, 7.9. That is better than the industry at 6.9. And return on equity, very good, 16.5 versus 14.3. Jace, what do you got going forward? There's a current price here for GM, $42.40, 52-week high, $67.21, and a low of $41.99. That was hit yesterday, actually. Year-to-date return down 27.7%, so not had a good start to the year, unfortunately. But, as we were kind of saying, perhaps a buying opportunity in General Motors. If I go to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $7.33. That would give us a target sell price of $121.68. I mean, the valuations on this company are just phenomenal. And I'm going to disagree. I don't think they're going to return the dividend this year. I I think that they're so focused on the the growth side of things that they're they're really trying to make that switch over to we're investing for the future. I think they kind of got away with a lucky excuse in COVID where they were going to pause the dividend. And now it's like, okay, now we don't have to reinstate it because we're going to focus more on investing. I think they kind of got away with that. I'm a little upset by not having a dividend, but I think there is so much potential with this business. And I think 2022 for GM is going to be what I call a show me year. They've talked so much about these electric vehicles. Now we know there's the uh, the Hummer coming out and the Lyric. I've been seeing them advertising that like crazy. Can they get those deliveries on track for this year? And I think if you see some good news on that, the stock will do quite well. And, and Joe, I got to say, uh, and to the listeners as well, I mean, I think the down on this stock is way overdone because when I look at the trend of the earnings, also important, 90 days ago, they were 716. They're now 734. They're not going down. There's nothing wrong with this company. I cannot figure out why the stock is dropping, what do you say, down 27%? Yeah, 30%. 30% year to date. Uh, You've got good numbers. Even the range is not too bad. Uh, The range is a low of 566, a high of 860. So it's not really tight, but it's not way out uh, 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 of the ballpark either. So um, I think this is a good buy. I don't know what your your position is uh, percentage-wise, how much you'll hold of it. But it could be a good opportunity to add to it because they've got some good things coming up. I continue to see the commercial for the Cadillac uh, Lyric, I think it's called. looks beautiful. Uh, what it could happen that could hurt them is that if they don't get the, the products out in time, because if they, they start having delays, that could hurt the stock. But the analysts right now, again, there's what you said, 18 of them. Um, yeah, they're, and they're I, positive on this. And I know Mary Barra took a ride in their their cruise autonomous yeah, vehicle cruise. up there without a driver, and they're, they're working still on the, the origin, which is crazy to me, but no driver, no seat for mm-hmm. the driver. It's like a box that people sit in, and, I mean, it's definitely futuristic. And I, I think that they talk a lot about this service side of the business, and I think if that service side can come due – auto manufacturers have never really generally traded over you know at 16 multiple because their earnings are so cyclical if they can get that service business going you'll get that multiple because it's reoccurring revenue so i i think gm's a great long-term buy and I, i'm still very optimistic on this business and, and chase i know you talked about uh, you want to buy the uh new hummer the I, I think the hummer's sweet looking car yeah. I, I can see joe in that as well what do you think joe <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I need to call Van. Actually, is what I, I'm looking at, you know, because I need to, to throw the bikes in the back and, you know, and hey, trail they, them around. But um, they have the vehicles for FedEx. Maybe you can buy one of those. You know, throw, <laughs> throw your motorcycle back there too. I know you had one of those. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I want to put some uh, restraint uh, things in there, so so they just you don't need straps or nothing for your motorcycles. They just go in there and they lock in really. It's probably the most securely you can do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But um, hey, on that Ford and GM thing, I mean, because uh, Ford, you know, has been going down as well. 
just like GM. And um, I picked up some GM just because it was going down, but it went down even more. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to hang on to it. And I, I agree with uh, uh, Chase on the dividend thing because, you know, you guys have been hoping the dividend would go on. Ordery put theirs on. I mean, I, you know, I'm just trying to think they're in the same industry, you know. Yeah, and, and I don't know because uh, I haven't seen their cash lately. Uh, let me see if I can just pull up the balance sheet real quick here. See, because their, their cash, I think, was like $20 billion is what they had. Um, yeah, they, they've got cash now $28.6 billion. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think they might add. I don't I, I don't think they're going to wait this year. I, I think they might do it this year. I mean, even their cash flow looks pretty good as well, $6.8 billion uh, cash flow. They should they're, have that. They're building several factories is the issue. But they're not paying cash for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I based on Mary Barra during her conference calls, she seems very reluctant to add the dividend. Yeah, most of the time you kind of get inklings that it's it's an opportunity. I haven't gotten that feeling from her. Yeah. I, I I've sensed that she says we're investing, we're going full steam ahead with all because they have to launch the cruise too. That's going to be expensive in terms of capital expenditures. So I don't know. I mean, they they could reinstate a small dividend. I'm not. I'm not bummed if they do or don't this year is, I guess, my point of view. Right, right. Well, we will see. I, I think it could go either way. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, put myself out there and say I, I bet they will pay a dividend this year or start this year. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, uh, September, but uh, we'll, we'll see. But, Joe, I think it's a good pick. It's a tough call either way. Yep, yep. Hey, good talk to you. Have All a right, good one. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right. Appreciate bye -bye. it. Bye-bye. All right, I'd say that opens up the phone line, but I looked over. It's like, oh. It's, the show's almost over. We got about a minute left there. So, but um, you, you know, I do want to kind of tell people: do not watch your the market on a, on a minute by minute basis. It is going to go up and down. Rates are going to go up and down until we get some clarity here. I'd say over the next uh, few weeks here, don't panic. But maybe look at things to maybe take advantage. As we just talked with Joe, maybe there's some good opportunities out there to take advantage of. Yeah, I, I talked on Fox Five this past week, and I, I think financials are a booming opportunity as they continue to fall you get great dividends i think they've they've been hit too much by the 10-year yield falling i think by the end of the year the 10-year yield is going to go back up helping financials talking about companies like gm that's down 30 percent i mean these are the type of opportunities you want to find right now and i kind of say less on the energy side because i think you've you're up now you want to take some opportunities that are down and right. that's what you want to be buying yeah, and don't worry about the short term. I mean, you might buy GM at you know, 42, 44, and it goes down. Like, don't worry about that. Say, where will I be 6, 12, 18, 24 months down the road? Because things are going to change for you. You got to look at buying the business and, and not worry about the short term movements because uh, it's just a, a, a crapshoot on the short term. But you're looking at buying good businesses. That's why we did the workshop. We'll, we'll do another one. We may do one another month or so because we almost had to turn some people away. So we, we might do another one another four weeks ago. So. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you would like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That again is smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that 
my side.